welcome back to The Dark Side. I'm your host, Brianna. And I'm Dyson. And this is Dark Adaptation. episode 53 of Dark Adaptation. This Hello. Is the second episode of February. Halfway through February. February. Hello. 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 Wow. Wow. Hello. They have a great physique. Whoa. Oh, that's a woman? How is this a woman? That's an impressive physicality. What's that show called? Physical 100? Fi- yeah, Physical 100. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, if you're listening, have you seen Physical 100 on Netflix? Because I I don't know how to feel about it. It's a Korean show. It's dubbed very poorly. And literally, that's how they talk. Oh, they yeah. say the same thing in like four different ways. Wow, they are very fit. Wow, that is a physicality. And it's the same. There's only two people doing Hello. voices for dubs. Hello. One guy and one for the girls. <laughs> uh, yeah. Hello. Um, Hello. Oh my god. Oh my god. Ridiculous. (laughs) Okay, so now welcome to episode 53 where we're going to talk about Physical 100. We've changed up this podcast. We're tired of doing things that are macabre. And now we're just going to review Korean shows on Netflix. But not Squid Game. Oh, yeah, no. Nothing that gets popular on the western side of the hemisphere. Meanwhile, if we were going to do any Netflix shows, regardless of if they are Korean or not, Squid Game... Squid Game? Squid Games? Squid Game? I was going to say it, it would be it would be one regardless I would want to do. Meanwhile, I don't even know if it's game or games. But the show was so good. <laughs> yeah, I did like it. My favorite part was when Ronald McDonald showed up at the end. Oh. Oh, no, no. Oh, no, no. <laughs> My favorite is the director saying that it was symbolic of his rage and revenge. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I can't wait for season two. Yeah. All right. Um... Do we have anything, any business to talk about? You know, we're business people. <laughs> I was going to say any other business. <laughs> I feel like there was something I was going to say. Now I forget because my brain is like mushy. Uh, I got a mushy brain. A mush brain. My brain is full of knowledge. And it's making it mushy. Oh, yeah. I oh, that. I remember what I was going to say. Oh, sorry, listener, if that was loud. Whoa! <laughs> <laughs> I remember! <laughs> um... We have uh, we reached um, a thousand followers on Instagram, mm. which I was very very excited about. Yeah, congratulations on that. That's all you. Congratulations to to me. Wow, congratulations. Congratulations to you and to me. Congratulations. You have an impressive physicality. Thank you. This is all fast food and sugar. Mm. <laughs> mm. I'm loving it. <laughs> <laughs> um. Yeah followers exciting exciting hey Liu, listening have you followed us on instagram <laughs> why not dark adaptation podcast do it <laughs> so then before we know it i can be like we have two thousand followers <laughs> yeah yeah well maybe one day we'll look back and be like oh a thousand how quaint oh wow mm-hmm. just look down at our past selves for no reason i look down on my past self all the time okay for, well that's you for no reason and plenty of reason i looked out i look back at myself and i go oh Aw. You were trying. You know, you're doing good. I mean, I do that too. Yeah. 
There's times I definitely look down on myself, though. Mm. And there's other times I say, oh, I wish I could hug you. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Dear diary. Yeah. Today was a rough one. Why are you writing it down? No one's going to read it. (laughs) All right. Um... (laughs) (laughs) Did you lose it already? Help. All right. Help me. This case that we're going to talk about today, mm-hmm. I feel like I should just get into it. Because, like I said, I got a mush brain. So, mm. this case is, like, a little bit mysterious. It's it's definitely sad. It's also confusing. Um, just because it's very, like, science-heavy. So, oh, when boy. I was doing the research, trying to... First of all, just remain, like... Okay, honestly, just understanding it, being like these like chemical compounds and stuff. I'm like, what the fuck? Mm-hmm. Do people actually say like this full ass name every single time? No like, way. I'm confused. That's what I hear. Compounds. Yeah. So there was some things I had to try and keep straight in my head. So while I was researching it, I wrote it in ways that make sense. Um, and they're easy to follow. I hope hmm. so. The way I'm explaining it right now is not a testament to how I'm going to tell you the story. Please don't turn this episode off. <laughs> It'll be fine. <laughs> so, yeah, obviously, I'm just I'm just gonna get into it. And if you're Dyson, if you're like, what are you talking about? Then say something because probably other people are listening. Like, what are you talking about? But also, I'm really hard on myself, so I'm, it's probably actually really straightforward. And I'm just being hypercritical, and I will look down on this version of myself in the future. I'm already doing it. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go. It'll be fine. Let's go. On February nineteenth, nineteen ninety-four, a thirty-one-year-old woman named Gloria Ramirez called paramedics when she began having trouble breathing. She had advanced cervical cancer and knew she needed immediate medical attention. Soon after, she was brought to the emergency room at Riverside General Hospital in Southern California. She went into cardiac arrest. Hospital staff began life-saving measures, and suddenly, they began falling ill with various symptoms, like fainting and convulsions. It was a bizarre case that ultimately took chemists from a forensic center to, quote, solve. Hmm. How fucking weird. Mysterious? Bizarre? Intriguing, even? Around 8.15 p.m. on February 19, 1994, paramedics wheeled Gloria through the ER into a small trauma room. Gloria was awake, but when she spoke, she was brief and incoherent. She was taking shallow, rapid breaths, and her blood pressure was plummeting. Maureen Welch was the respiratory therapist on duty that night, and she was really worried about Gloria's condition. Typically, these symptoms are present in much older adults, not 31-year-olds. The medical staff injected Gloria with sedatives and drugs to slow her heart rate. Gloria's condition was rapidly deteriorating, and she went into cardiac arrest, losing consciousness. Mm. 
Maureen forced air into her lungs with a manual resuscitator. One of those things that just look like a big oh, yeah. balloon thing that you pump. Yeah. Attached to the mouth. Yeah, like a little uh, bike horn. Yeah, a yeah. little big bike horn. Yeah. So she was pumping air into Gloria's youngs using one of those, but Gloria wasn't responding. So staff knew that they needed to defibrillate her. So they stripped off her shirt when they noticed an oily sheen covering Gloria's body that had this like garlicky smell. Ew. Yeah, it was alarming. A registered nurse named Susan Kane was assigned to draw Gloria's blood. And as the syringe filled, Susan noticed the blood had a smell to it, like a chemical smell. And Maureen said it smelled like ammonia. So Maureen passed the syringe to a med student named Julie Gorchinsky and the ER doctor that was on duty that night, Dr. Ochoa. And they... (laughs) And both Dr. Ochoa and Julie noticed that along with the weird ammonia smell, there was this unusual like brownish colored particles that were just floating in the blood. Ew. Yeah. So suddenly, Susan collapsed. She was completely limp, and she was saying that her face was burning. And she was put on a gurney and taken from the room. A gurney. And then Julie (laughs) said that she was lightheaded and nauseous, so she left the room to sit at a nurse's desk's desks. Plural. There's several. A nurse's desk where she fainted, and she was also put on a gurney. (laughs) Julie's condition, though, was worse than Susan's. Julie was, her whole body was convulsing and she would, she had um, apnea. So she was breathing and then she'd stop breathing and then she would take a few breaths and then she would stop breathing um, on and off breathing. And meanwhile, back in the trauma room, Maureen fainted. And when she woke up, she was on a gurney and she couldn't control her arms or her legs. They were like flailing and spastic. Mm-hmm. So Maureen was the third person that collapsed, um, but there was several others that said that they felt sick too, and hospital administrators declared that there was an internal emergency. So Dr. Ochoa, he ordered the staff to evacuate all ER patients to the parking lot. Meanwhile, Gloria was still alive, but she was in critical condition, and she couldn't be wheeled out into the parking lot. So mm-hmm. a few staff members had to stay. Um, Dr. Ochoa was like the leading member and then a few stayed with him to try and keep her alive. Her blood pressure continued to drop. Her pulse was very faint and sadly their efforts to stabilize her failed. So at 8.50 PM, she was pronounced dead and that was just 35 minutes after she had gotten to the hospital. Two staff members moved her body to an Annie room adjacent to trauma one. Do you know what an Annie room is? No. It's like basically a little room where not much happens and you kind of use it um, to put things or people in where it won't really be contaminated or reached. It's kind of like a buffer room. Oh, okay. Yeah, like where you can isolate things. Like a quarantine almost. Kind of, yeah. Yeah. It's like a multi-purpose room, but basically it's just to be sterile. sterilized storage yeah yeah nice so out in the parking lot hospital staff were treating patients and like their fellow ill colleagues mm-hmm. the all staff, on gurneys now 
<laughs> all of them, even the ones treating them. Everyone has gurneys. to be on a gurney. Everybody. Mandatory gurney. There was a gurney salesman a, outside that day. It's a gaggle it was, of gurneys. It was just very fortunate. They were racing them at some point. The janitors, <laughs> obviously. Yeah. They were racing. They were jousting. <laughs> jousting with a gurney. Be fun. Oh well, God. if you get seriously hurt, you're on the perfect platform. You are. Yeah. Just lay back. <laughs> There's gurneys everywhere. <laughs> the, the, <laughs> parking lot i bet they're all in a parking space <laughs> okay did anyone has anyone seen where gerald is yeah he's in, he's in spot 23 <laughs> what that's handicap that's reserve parking <laughs> <laughs> all right so everyone's in the in the parking lot mm -hmm. hospital staff are treating patients they're treating their fellow colleagues uh they still have no idea what has happened and at this point, they're worried that they had encountered some sort of toxic chemical. So th they were all stripped down to their underwear and their clothes were put into plastic bags. Susan was still limp and her face was still burning. Julie continued to shake and had unsteady breathing. And Maureen still couldn't control her limbs. And now there was a fourth victim, Sally Balderas, who was a nurse that had helped take Gloria's body into the anteroom. And she had begun gagging, and she said that her skin was burning. So she was also put on a gurney. Weird. Mm hmm Hmm. Huh. In total, 23 of the 37 ER staff members experienced at least one symptom that was in the, the vein of, like, breathing problems, shaking, convulsing, limpness, whatever. Like, there was at least one symptom amongst 23 of 37 staff members. Five of these staff members were hospitalized for the rest of the night, while Sally was hospitalized for 10 days and endured periods of apnea, and Julie spent two weeks in critical care, where she also suffered from hepatitis, pancreatitis, and avascular necrosis in her knees. And avascular necrosis is when your bone tissue is dying um, because there's a lack of blood supply. That's so fucked up. Like, what did her organs just start failing and shit? Like, what the fuck is going on? Her, she had pancreatitis, for sure. Yeah. But um, also, the necrosis like of any part of your body is very painful. Ugh. So it was like months and months after this that she had to walk around on crutches because she just couldn't put weight on her knees. Mm. So around 11 p.m., a hazmat team arrived at the hospital, and they were looking for an airborne toxic chemical in the ER. They searched for a bunch of stuff. Uh, one of the things they searched for was sewer gas, which is hydrogen sulfide, and it's a poison that smells like rotten eggs. Mm -hmm. And in high concentrations, it can kill a person in just one or two whiffs. So they were very scared. They were looking for that. They also were looking for phosgene, which is a very terrifying. It's um, it is a normal chemical that's used, like an organic chemical, in the preparation of some stuff in a hospital, but in very very small doses. But if you use phosgene in high doses, it's like using chemical warfare. Okay. Um, in high doses, it can tear your capillaries in your lungs, so that you're basically just drowning in your blood. Oh, so they were looking for those are a couple of the things they're looking for, but they're looking for anything that could be airborne because like, it like didn't make sense. They were looking for shit that could potentially be like chlorine gas and shit. Yeah, a, a toxic gas. Yeah. Chemicals. 
um, something airborne mm-hmm. just because of how it people all of a sudden were like reacting. So by this point, the media was involved. There was news crews. <laughs> Why are you laughing? <laughs> No one likes when they hear that. No. Yeah, <laughs> oh, here comes the media. The media. The media. <laughs> there was news crews, there was reporters, and they were showing up because, you know, they wanted the scoop. And it's mm. also, remember, 1994, so it's like peak, um... How do you, Shitty coverage. Yeah, like, like, can we sensationalize this? Mm-hmm. I mean, sure, we can, but will it be, like, good, though? But, like, good? But, like, good? We're the point where audience leave it on for a moment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so that's what they're there for. They're like, mm-hmm. We want to know what the hell's going on. Also, it is a pretty like serious situation and weird. Like, yeah, I can they... I can already see the news bumpers now. Gas attack in hospital? Mm-hmm. Question mark. Question mark. <laughs> but it's smaller. Producer gets blowjob from Nancy's secretary. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> Would that have been around ninety four? I don't know. Oh. <laughs> Who? Producers? I'm sure a producer got a blowjob in 94. <laughs> I thought you were referencing something. Oh, Monica Lewinsky. <sighs> okay, so by this point, like I said, the media's there. Amazingly, there's no toxic chemicals detected in the ER. So this hazmat team showed up and they're like, I don't know, man. I don't, I don't find anything. And at first, everyone's like, oh, that's great. There's no toxic chemicals. Like, that's wonderful. We obviously don't want that. Mm-hmm. But then it, it just left everyone really confused because they're like, wait, so there's no explanation as to what the fuck just happened in the ER? Like, we we got people who are, like, like sick. Remember, I said some of these people were hospitalized for, like, a couple weeks. Mm-hmm. So the newspapers and the news broadcasts, they covered this story for weeks and they ended up dubbing Gloria Ramirez the toxic lady because all signs were pointing to her body as being the cause of this mystery. So naturally, everyone was captivated by the story and also people want answers. But there was people who were also like frightened, especially those that were close to the case. So the people who worked directly with Gloria, people that were in the ER and people like the pathologists at the coroner's office who had to perform an autopsy on her. Mm -hmm. So they took no chances because if it was true that her body was causing this like toxic, whatever is happening, Mm -hmm. they were like, that's terrifying. So they were like, we're not taking chances. They donned whole hazmat suits and they conducted the autopsy in this like cordoned off space. Yeah. So they were in there doing an autopsy After 90 minutes, they emerged and they had samples of blood and tissue from Gloria's body and air from the body bag. Okay. So these samples seemingly yielded nothing out of the ordinary. So the coroner's office had no answers, which led them to look for help elsewhere. Because if this is some sort of like airborne chemical, like nerve agent or whatever is happening... They obviously need answers. Mm-hmm. Also, it's a hospital, so it's like extra scary. Yeah. So they contact the Forensic Science Center at the Lawrence Livermore National Laboratory. And I'm just going to call it Livermore for short. Mm-hmm. On March 25th, 1994, Livermore officially took on this case for free as a public service 
Uh, so they were working on it after hours and on weekends. It was led by a man named Brian Anderson, who was the center's director. Mr. Anderson. <laughs> and the plan was that Brian Anderson was going to analyze all of the compounds in the samples of blood, bile, and tissues from Gloria's heart, liver, lungs, brain, and kidneys. And they would also check for any gases that may have come off the samples in the containers they were stored in. Mm. So through a very complicated scientific process that I have absolutely no business explaining, and I'm not even going to try to explain it, <laughs> basically... What Anderson did was isolate molecules from the samples of like the blood and tissue and whatever mm -hmm. to study the compounds. Okay. And he identified several that had been circulating in Gloria's system. Okay. And among them were things like Tylenol, codeine, and anti-nausea medicine. And okay. All of that checks out because- For someone with cervical cancer. Yeah. Yeah. And he's, he's like, okay, found some, some compounds there. Totally normal. Check that off the list. Nothing to worry about. He then found a few interesting, what he called anomalies. Mm. So the first anomaly was an unidentified amine. So our bodies produce amines like all the time. We've got dopamine, um, ne ne nepronephrine. Oh, yeah. Um, Nebuchadnezzar's? Norepinephrine, epinephrine, histamine, and serotonin. I was very scared you were going to like summon a demon there for a minute. I also was stuttering a lot, so it's very possible that it just <laughs> turns into Latin. <laughs> so basically, like... Kobe just runs out. You must not read from the book! <laughs> no! <laughs> so these... That means that our body produces is totally normal. Stuff that makes us sleepy, stuff that makes us happy, um, adrenaline, that kind of stuff. That's the, what is easily identified. But there was an unidentified one. And this one that he found was a derivative of ammonia. And remember, they said, oh, no. it smells like ammonia. Like this blood smells like ammonia. It's very weird. Yeah. So he believed that this amine was formed in her blood as her body broke down the anti-nausea drug okay so he was like okay that's the most likely reason for this first anomaly okay there's the razors that bad boy right there mm -hmm. yep the second anomaly was a high concentration of nicotinamide which is a water soluble form of vitamin b3 and b vitamins are crucial to human health we have b vitamins all kinds of b vitamins in our body mm -hmm. but gloria had a lot in her system so he was like okay i'll just keep this in mind yeah but whatever she got a lot of b3 who knows she's on the upper end of the b3s <laughs> the third anomaly was okay here we go dimethyl sulfone mm. and i am going to be saying that word Probably 100 more times. Dimethyl sulfone. So what I've done is I've shortened it and I'll call it SO2. Okay. Okay? Yeah. Dimethyl sulfone is SL2. Oh, SO2. SO2. It's SO2. 
Yes. It's so square. Yeah. And it's, on top of being very square, is also known as a manufactured industrial solvent. And sometimes, only sometimes and kind of rarely, it's naturally produced in our bodies from amino acids that contain sulfur. Mm. But it has a half-life in the body of maybe three days. So healthy people never have measurable amounts in their system. Yeah, they don't have enough time to build it up. Exactly. So, again, in Gloria's blood and tissue, there was like a really high concentration of SO2. Okay. So Anderson says that the unidentified amine and the the vitamin B3 Mm-hmm. He's like, these can be explained away for multiple reasons, but detecting a high concentration of SO2 is very bizarre. Yeah. Like, why? How does that even happen? Exactly. More bizarre, though, is that SO2, is, on its own, it can't produce any of the symptoms of the people in the ER that day. So even though she has this high concentration, it's an anomaly. It's odd that it's there, even if it had some reason like relation to the people getting sick in the hospital he's like it's just not possible like it can't do that mm-hmm. so he is back at square one because he's drawing the same conclusions as everyone else that there's nothing particularly poisonous or toxic about gloria's body yeah so he's confused as well and he has to report these findings to the coroner's office saying like okay well the first thing i found is that gloria's liver and kidneys were damaged but that makes sense she was taking a lot of drugs especially if you're taking um like painkillers and stuff and codeine tylenol whatever mm-hmm. it, it can damage your kidneys and your liver yeah. mainly so he's like like of course it's not really bizarre and then he also reported the stuff that he found that was you know an anomaly right the three things so that and <laughs> So Anderson knew, like he knew that there was something unusual going on. He he could tell, he could feel it. There's these things that are like anomalies, but he couldn't pinpoint it and he didn't know how to put the pieces together. So he just saw a bunch of data points and he went, those are all odd outliers. Why did we get this situation we got? Yeah. Like, okay. like what caused, like what caused the situation in the ER and how does it fit with these three things i'm seeing Mm -hmm. but he did all these experiments and like and researched the samples and everything and he's like i can't find that like link i know this is weird and i know that is weird but how does weird plus weird equal er situation yeah (laughs) so he um like i said told the coroner's office that he can't figure out why this would happen in the ER in relation to Gloria's body. Mm-hmm. But the Riverside's coroner's office held a, a press conference on April 29th to reveal the autopsy results. So coroner Scotty Hill announced that Gloria had died of cardiac dysrhythmia triggered by her kidney failure stemming from her cervical cancer. So the investigation into her death was finished that was easy to determine how she died, but there was still no explanation for the outbreak of the illness. So in terms of the outbreak, we can definitively say that Scotty didn't know. <laughs> Scotty didn't know. What do, you, what do you think of that? I'm 
I'm amazed that like earlier we were talking about Austin Powers for whatever reason. We haven't watched Austin Powers. I haven't seen anything about Austin Powers, but it somehow came up earlier today. So now we can totally make a reference. Yeah. And it's wonderful. <laughs> and Coroner Scotty Hill didn't know. He yeah. didn't know about the ER situation. He didn't know why these people got sick. All he knew for sure is how Gloria died, but how her death contributed to these weird anomalies in her body and the seemingly like noxious gas that was taking people out, no one knew yet. Also, just putting it together now in my head that your reference was Euro Trip, not Austin Powers. Whereas I was thinking Scotty, as in Scotty zip it. Scotty, Scotty don't. Scotty don't. It... Sorry. <laughs> you must zip it. <laughs> zip it. <laughs> my God. Okay. Euro Trip, though. Wow. Ten out of ten. Honestly, I wasn't figuring out where the fuck that was from, so I was like, hey, it might have been. <laughs> And I was just rotting with it because I don't know. I figured you'd know better than I would. Oh, God. <coughs> I mean, usually, but again, mush. Mush is a brain. <laughs> mush. Okay, so the county health department called in California's Department of Health and Human Services, which put two of its top scientists on the case. That's a nerd. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> we got our crack scientists on top of it. They must feel like fucking just heroes <laughs> well i don't know how they feel about it actually <laughs> so they've got doctors anna maria osario and kirsten waller mm. so uh, osario and waller interviewed the hospital staff who'd been working in the yard er on february 19th yeah and they used a standardized questionnaire to find out that the people who had developed severe symptoms, such as loss of consciousness, shortness of breath, and muscle spasms, had worked within two feet of Gloria and had handled her intravenous lines. The okay. survey also found most people afflicted were women, and they were also people who had skipped dinner, so they had an empty stomach. Oh, uh, I understand that. I mean, like, you ever taken, like, the pills where they're like take with food and you don't yes my my antidepressants i'm supposed to take with food do you get the one where you're like if you don't you just hurl i will throw up or i will have the i'll get diarrhea mm -hmm. or i will have heartburn that is like so bad that your eyes water yeah so i always take it like i do always take it with food and i usually actually like swallow it at the same time as i'm swallowing food so i know it's getting into my stomach with food because mm -hmm. I'll, I'll just be like so uncomfortable but uh, yeah i also want to take antidepressants because i don't want to feel like i'm gonna fucking die <laughs> <laughs> yep i was on, i was talking to uh steph the other day about how like antidepressants are there's nothing wrong with taking medicine if you need to take medication because there are some right. people who are like, oh, you know, like I shouldn't need medication to like feel better or feel like myself. Like I shouldn't have to. And it's like, it's a godsend <laughs> that it was invented and you should take it. 
And then people who are like, oh, I don't, I don't want to like gain weight or whatever. And it's like, I'm on, I've been on antidepressants for a couple of years. It has definitely like attributed to some weight gain, but I'd rather be a little chubby than want to kill myself every day. Yeah. <laughs> like I shouldn't need to wear cylindrical objects in front of my eyes to see. Okay. It's not natural. You know yeah. what? Like there's a fucking pill to fix it. Would you just shut the fuck up and take it? If I could get 2020 vision by taking a fucking pill, I would. Me too. Yeah. Exactly. Just, I never understood shit Having like a that. headache, take a Tylenol so you're not suffering. You know what? They're the permutation of like a hundred fucking years. They're, they're the permutation of the morons back when flight was invented. And they were like, if God wanted us to fly, we, we would have had wings on our ass. Oh my like, God. Like, there's I a know. pill for that. Would you shut the fuck up? Why would you not want that? It's like, <laughs> yeah. oh, my head hurts. I got a bad headache. Oh, take God. an Advil. <laughs> take a fucking Advil. Why wouldn't you do that? You're an idiot if you don't. Yeah. Anyway, sorry. That's a big pet peeve of mine. I know. I felt the passion there. Yeah. It's irritating. You're not allowed to complain if you had a solution right in front of you. No. Yeah. Exactly. So, I believe you mentioned that because I said that the people who took the survey were mostly women and they had empty stomachs. Mm-hmm. And then you just said, have you ever taken a pill on an empty stomach? Yeah, because it fucking okay. hits you so much harder and you get so much negative effect from it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. For sure. So, also because some of the people in this ER were complaining about, like, feeling nauseous and fainting and stuff. And, mm-hmm. I mean, you are, it's just a fact. You're much more likely to faint if you have an empty stomach or low blood sugar. Yeah. I, the reason I asked specifically was, like, um, like I, I took, like, like, if I take, like, a, a zinc supplement. I remember one time, the first time I took it where I didn't follow the instructions about eating, I almost fainted and I threw up at work. Yeah. And I'm an idiot. I didn't read the instructions. Like, I didn't listen to the instructions Mm -hmm. that one time. And I was like, oh, I guess that's what it does. Exactly. So it makes sense. California's Department of Health and Human Services put together a report using this questionnaire uh, the autopsy results from Gloria, the hazmat analysis, and quote, unremarkable blood test results from the hospital staff and they released their conclusion on september 2nd of 94 and it said quote the hospital staff most likely experienced an outbreak of mass sociogenic illness perhaps triggered by an odor Mm. mass hysteria yeah that was what i was (laughs) what i figured they said this Based on what we can see here, this was mass hysteria. And in support of their mass hysteria theory, Osario and Waller cited the lack of evidence for poison and the fact that women were the majority of those suffering severe symptoms. Okay. They pointed out that neither paramedic who treated Gloria in the ambulance became ill, despite being in close contact with her, touching her skin, handling her blood, because they also did an intravenous line. And... While they concluded that it was likely mass hysteria, again, all of this is like just speculation. They're saying like it's pretty much let's identify what it like isn't really and then see what fits best because Mm -hmm. like we don't know. Yeah. So just based on what they have in front of them, they're saying it was mass hysteria, but they didn't rule out the possibility of some sort of toxic chemicals being involved. It's just that no one knows and they are doing all these tests even getting third parties involved and they 
can't find anything that would suggest it's toxic. So it just landed on the default. Yeah. So they're like, well, I mean, there isn't anything that's tested from the air that shows it's there's a something toxic. You are mostly women and you had empty stomachs. So mm-hmm. like it could, could be mass hysteria. Yeah. The report caused outrage, though, from the hospital staff who all denounced that it was mass hysteria. Um, they thought it was insulting. They are literally working, like putting their lives on the line every day, working in an ER. They are working under all kinds of high pressure situations. They are smelling things that are weird all the time. They are seeing things that are weird and gruesome and bloody all the time. They're used to working long hours. They are used to working with all types of people and people who have all types of cases. Mm-hmm. And they were really offended that they concluded that it was a mass hysteria outbreak. Okay. Um, one of the people who was very offended was Maureen Welch, who was the respiratory therapist that was on duty that night. Right. And she's the one that had like the spastic um, arms and legs. So she actually called Anderson back, who was the one from Livermore. Mm-hmm. And she was like begging him to just take another look at this case. She sent him a copy of a scrapbook that she had been making that had um, news articles, a to- like toxicology reports, autopsy findings, um, coroner's report, legal briefs. Like it had all kinds of stuff in it. Mm-hmm. And she was like, here's everything I've been collecting. It means a lot to me. I'm a part of this. I was affected by it. Just please take a second look. Yeah. And so Anderson talked to his deputy director, which is a man named Grant. And they decided that they would look through the stuff that she sent. They would familiarize them, uh, Grant with the case and Anderson would like refresh his memory and look through what, what uh, Maureen sent just in case there was stuff they hadn't seen. Mm-hmm. And, Grant hadn't really been involved too much the first time around. It was mostly Anderson that was going through everything and leading the the charge and conducting the experiments. So he briefed Grant on it. He told him um, about those three anomalies that he found the, the first time around, mainly the SO2. And so Grant originally sort of fell out, out of his element because a lot of what we're talking about is like, organic chemistry mm-hmm. whereas grant was more of like a nuclear chemist so he at first mistook so2 for which is dimethyl sulfone mm-hmm. he mistook that for dimethyl sulfoxide okay so dmso the only difference between the two is that chemicals in DMSO only have one oxygen atom. Right. If you add a second oxygen atom to it, then you get SO2. Yeah. So at first he thought it was DMSO. Yeah, that's why I'm calling it SO2. Yeah. So it's like DMSO is the OG. SO2 is it on steroids because it has a second oxygen atom. Yeah. So he, when he heard Anderson say like, yeah, when I was looking at Gloria's blood and tissue, I found SO2. And Grant's like, I, oh yeah, SO2, I know all about that. But he was mistaking it for its original form, DMSO. 
And he was familiar with DMSO, as a lot of scientists are, regardless of what like chemistry major you are. Mm-hmm. Um, people are familiar with it because it has a complicated past. So <laughs> okay. during the 1960s, yeah. it was DMSO was believed to soothe really severe pain um, and reduce anxiety, like pain that is like bone deep pain. Okay. So the F, but the um, FDA ordered that clinical trials stop in 1965 because animal tests showed that prolonged exposure to DMSO could make you like lose your vision. You could go blind. Oh, you got to watch out for that. So in 1978, <laughs> yeah. the FDA sort of like relaxed the policy and they approved 50% solution of DMSO um, as a treatment for very specific things, mm-hmm. um, mainly things that related to your bladder or your urinary tract. Okay. Uh, and it's predominantly uh, things that affect women. Because, like, you know, you got your whole, like, cervix and uterus and stuff, and it's a very complicated area. So if you had, like... A lot of deep, deep pain. Yeah. So if you you had a lot of, like, ovarian cysts that were really, really painful or um, cystitis, um, tons of different things that could happen uh, in your, like, bladder, urinary region, it's... People would use this DMSO. With a max of 50% DMSO in it, though. Right, a solution of it. Yes. Okay. Uh, But, of course, people started using DMSO unprescribed and kind of in a home remedy way. (laughs) 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 Uh, Because why not? Yeah, because it's like, well, I mean, you're letting them use it, so it obviously works, but, like, you can't just prescribe it to anyone. Why? Like, I want it. So it was mostly people that were, like, very athletic athletes or people who did like a lot of heavy um manual labor stuff like that right because it you know it supposedly helps with like this deep pain so if people have really bad muscle strains or arthritis uh they would use dmso on it Uh, even though it's not prescribed it's typically only prescribed in rare situations for these urinary tract infections bladder problems Mm -hmm. whatever yeah we'll leave it to leave it to you know fitness (laughs) i'm not gonna say fitness like experts or like veterans it's definitely not experts it's the fanatics the ones that are just nuts about it they'll try fucking anything exactly yeah so the thing is though like you can't just get dmso or like products that have levels of dmso in it like anywhere but like i mentioned dmso is commonly found in like manufactured industrial solutions Mm-hmm. So, the easiest place to find DMSO is at hardware stores. Oh, good. In like grease cutting uh, form. So, like in degreasers and stuff like that. Oh. But the problem is, it's 99% pure. This just reminds me of like, like the comparable to this is like the government saying, like, you know what? Drinks shouldn't be more than like 50% alcohol for consumption. Yeah, and then some go blind. Dumbass, yeah, and then some <laughs> dumbass is like, fuck you, I'm making moonshine. Yeah, that will it's make you blind. <laughs> fucking antifreeze and you might go blind. <laughs> Pretty much. Yeah, it's like the same idea. They're like, please drink responsibly. And you're like, no, 
Absolutely not. Hundred <laughs> percent no, and only because you told me not to. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So the people who really did want to use this DMSO were like, "All right, I'll get it, but I have to get it in degreasing form from like home hardware, and it's ninety nine percent pure." Whereas the FDA is saying like no more than fifty. Yeah. So. Anyway, this is still Grant and Anderson having a conversation. And Anderson probably just looked at Grant like, cool history lesson. Anyway, it's not DMSO, though. It's SO2. Yeah. So thanks for the history lesson. <laughs> um, cool. Yeah. Not DMSO, though. So great background, mm-hmm. Grant. But you're going to have to do some further research. So you, I know you know what's going on. Yeah. So Grant was like, cool, 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 cool. My bad. Um. Uh, okay i'll research <laughs> i'll research so2 oops i'll research it <laughs> i'll research so2 do a little google on that Oopsie Hold doodle. On. Yeah. so you know he's researching it more and then he's like hey you little fucker dmso is so2 basically what was that oh i said google it didn't i yeah you did Oh, that was my Google Home? Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Oh, so, I wonder if that picked up. That scared me. She's been doing that a lot lately, though. A suspicious amount, Google. That's what I thought. Oh, scary. It yeah. scared me. Oh, my God. I don't even remember what I was saying. Oh, yeah. Okay. So, yep. Grant, he's like, he researches this, and he's like, okay, you found SO2 in her system, but DMSO is SO2. It's just SO2 has extra oxygen in it. So it's like a little bit more powerful. Yeah. So he also learned that if you add two oxygen atoms to DMSO, you get dimethyl sulfate, SO4, which is a horrible chemical. Okay. It's very dangerous. It is very nasty. You don't ever want to see SO4 anywhere. What the fuck is it? What does it do? Well, the vapors of SO4 kill cells that it's exposed to in, like, tissues. So eyes, lungs, anything. It kills the cells there. And if it's absorbed into the body, SO4 causes convulsions, delirium, paralysis, coma, delayed damage to the kidneys, liver, heart. And in severe cases, the vapors can kill you. And further research by Grant showed that this SO4 was studied in a document by the Department of Defense called Reference Book on Chemical Warfare Information. Oh, God. She developed, like, weed killer for people. (laughs) Well, that's just what he found, that SO2 can become SO4. Yeah. It goes DMSO and then SO2 and then SO4. So it's... Still something that he found and was like, oh, I'll keep that in my pocket, though, because that is really scary. Mm-hmm. If we're talking about something originating as DMSO, because it can't be SO, it cannot be SO2 without being DMSO first. Yeah. So he's like, I don't know. What if we are going down a path where it becomes SO4? Yeah. In which case, that's terrifying because literally used in chemical warfare. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so the match between... Symptoms experienced by the hospital staff and the symptoms of SO4 exposure were uncanny. There was 20 types of 20 types of symptoms reported by staff at the hospital, like fainting, convulsions. Remember, Julie had hepatitis. Um, they all matched SO4 exposure. 
The only thing that didn't was nausea and vomiting. Okay. But everything else was also a symptom of SO4 exposure. Well, I can, the nausea and vomiting, I mean, so uh, so when they were like, oh, this was hysteria. Mm-hmm. I was like, okay, well, like, um, I can see that happen. Hysteria? I, I can see hysteria happen. Me too. Uh, and like, I, I know that they said like, okay, well, because it's like there's mainly women, and I, I'm gonna take that not in a completely inappropriate way, where they're just historically throwing that at women, but more along the lines of like, you know, when like guys kind of have that camaraderie and they all kind of build that same mentality, like that mindset during a situation, like sports or something, where they're all kind of hyped up, or same thing with like women or something. Well, like maybe they were like, you know, and they kind of got worried and then shit kind of hit the fan but like with an underlying like um like gas or something that is actually causing like some sort of physical reaction like the panic of all of that can cause like nausea Mm -hmm. like the adrenaline and stuff i could see that you know but and especially from like um a high stress job such as like nursing or like being a doctor Mm -hmm. that you could a hundred percent have that boiling point or like that breaking point where it just hits you and then also you can have that situation after the fact where you're like i'm a doctor i'm in this environment all the time i did not have hysteria and it's like well like maybe you actually did it was the fact that you were just so fucking stressed and shit and now you're just yeah like like, how dare you and it's like that's the thing though like it's also it's kind of also a poor choice of words like just yeah, in general, it's to, a bad... to call it a mass hysteria because hysteria relates to histrionics, which relates to women, mm-hmm. and it does. It, it, calling it hysteria doesn't necessarily mean someone is like pulling out their hair, running around in circles. Like his, mass hysteria can mean it's just a shared sort of symptom amongst all of these people. Yeah, that's what I mean. Like it was a really and unfortunate it, term. Just to. Like, I'm speaking in the way that you are saying it, like, from these people's perspective, saying, like, well, no, like, I'm a doctor. I couldn't have, like, really gone all hysterical. Yeah. I'm I'm used to these situations. Like, it doesn't necessarily mean running around, pulling your hair out, whatever. It could just be, like, panic mm-hmm. or fear or anxiousness or, like, even think about if you – a good example for me is, like, donating blood. Um. I always get lightheaded and almost faint when I donate blood. It just, I, I just do. Mm-hmm. But it will definitely happen if I look over and I see somebody else looking a little bit queasy or like starting to lose color, then I will instantly feel the same way. Cause I'm mm-hmm. looking at them and I'm like, Oh my God, their face is so pale and I know they're donating blood. And I also know like I can kind of faint maybe. So then I will actually like get, pale and lightheaded because i'm seeing someone else mm-hmm. so like yeah doesn't necessarily mean like freaking out yeah music three no oh <laughs> <laughs> just wondering if you had anything else to add no that was you pretty much nailed it that mm. was that was kind of my like i was trying to say like i know the background between hysteria and then slapping that on a bunch of women who were suffering through symptoms of something but what if they didn't mean it in that way what if they meant shared symptoms 
as a result of something else. Like it, that's what I meant. Like so, makes sense. It's the '90s, though. They probably did mean it's women, so it's hysteria. That's true. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I understand the how you you are trying to say it as like like get real, like just because they're women, it doesn't mean anything. But it's the '90s, and I think that that's exactly what they meant. Yeah. <laughs> also, like it's just even what you were saying, camaraderie amongst men. The examples you were giving, women are just naturally more like empathic empathetic sympathetic naturally more outward that way mm-hmm. and able to able and willing to like really put some y- yourself in somebody's shoes and feel what that person is feeling mm-hmm. i don't mean that in any way other than just that's normal women yeah, are like, usually like more in tune with other people and their emotions yeah like create the average and the average is going to spell that out for you mm-hmm. yeah, so okay. like mass hysteria in my opinion is of course going to more um commonly contribute with women because as as women as women as me a women (laughs) (laughs) women just naturally are more sorry as a woman as a woman uh, like you being a woman can i stop you as a man and just tell you how you feel right now yeah you should mansplain something to me right now all right here i go okay as a man i really don't have much to add actually so as a man i actually wasn't listening to what you said now and i just actually needed to hear my own voice Mm, soothing. <laughs> so to bring it back, uh, Grant had done his research on DMSO turning into SO2, turning into SO4, and, and saw that a lot of the symptoms reported by those in the hospital are similar to symptoms of SO4 exposure. Mm-hmm. So they're, they are starting to piece things together, but they knew that they had their work cut out for them. They wanted to answer some questions and conduct some experiments first before they went back to the coroner's office in Riverside with any sort of explanation. They're like, okay, we we are pretty comfortable that we're on the right path here, but we still have our work cut out for us. So they, the first thing that they had to decide was whether Gloria's body could have generated SO4. Mm-hmm. So Anderson had found evidence of SO2 in Gloria's body, which means that there had to have been DMSO first. So they had to decide or sort of hypothesize how DMSO got there. So there was two likely scenarios based on the previous findings of Anderson, which is his three weird anomalies. The first scenario is that Gloria had spread some sort of substance on her body, on her skin, that contained hard drugs, like PCP or something like that. And this scenario would explain the presence of the nicotinamide, which is that vitamin B3. Okay. Um, Because similar numbers of the vitamin B3, like high numbers concentrations Mm -hmm. have been seen in the symptoms of people who use drugs like meth or pcp because nicotinamide is cheap and it can cause euphoria so it's very common that dealers or drug makers whatever mix this into their drugs to extend the supply and make a larger profit okay problem If Gloria was taking PCP, which is what they were mainly hypothesizing with, 
there would be traces in her blood. And mm-hmm. also people know if someone is on fucking PCP because PCP or angel dust is it's a freaky drug. Yeah. You're you're crazy. It also will affect you likely your, for the rest of your, your life. Behaviors are a little, you know, recognizable in the crowd. Yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> you're not as slick as you think you are. Yeah. They're like, <laughs> cool. So this accounts for the like B3, lots of B3 in her system. But also it means she's taking PCP and like doubt it. Yeah. So we would notice. Like, cool. That's the first scenario. But um, second scenario, which uh, they were confident was more likely. <laughs> Is that Gloria had rubbed the degreaser or the cream or whatever that had DMSO in it to relieve pain because she had cervical cancer. She was in pain. It was late stage. It was very critical. It's more likely that she rubbed that all over her body, which also accounts for the oily sheen on her body when they took her shirt off to defibrillate her and the garlicky smell because there is a garlicky odor that is attributed to DMSO. that's sad on its like face value it is because like so that just means that she wasn't given the proper painkillers to alleviate her pain at, or like, it was like she was, stage of life yeah or she was like developing some sort of tolerance to it if you were given like codeine or t3s or whatever it oh, would right, have been she was on codeine yeah. like that's only going to be helpful for so long because those drugs are supposed to be a short-term use you're not supposed to use drugs like that long term because your and body will just why she obviously turned to pcp brianna oh that right. makes perfect sense that's right yeah just because a bunch of stuck up nerds didn't notice because mm-hmm. they wouldn't <laughs> pcp duh yeah cervical cancer equals pcp treatment so simple <laughs> <laughs> so yes it is i Back to what you were saying, seriously, it is very sad that she likely had built up some sort of tolerance to normal over-the-counter, like, prescriptions, painkillers, that she likely was doing this sort of athlete's underground home remedy treatment because she was probably desperate. And Gloria's family did say, like, or, like, deny that she was using DMSO. They're like, she wouldn't, like... She wouldn't need it or wasn't using it. But if she, even if she was, it's normal. There's nothing that is like negative about that or like to be ashamed of because a lot of cancer patients or people suffering with cancer or dealing with the side effects of associated treatment, a whole plethora of reasons for anyone with cancer, a lot of them use some kind of home remedy to yeah. deal with the pain. So, like, Especially, using- especially when it's like cancer that, well, like, yeah, because it just makes sense that you're just going to do something that's going to make you comfortable. Mm-hmm. It doesn't always have to be a drug. Like, like it doesn't always have to be like prescription painkillers is what I mean. There's other yeah. things that also just work for you, right? Like, I don't know. And I mean, DMSO, this in the version of like using it as a cream has been around at this point since the 60s and people are using it. Yeah. So... She was probably like... Fortunate it had to be in the form of degreaser. I know. Yeah. <clears throat> the forensic team, like I said, thought that scenario, the second scenario, was more likely. So they hypothesized that Gloria called paramedics on that, on that night on February 19th. And it was more related to her kidney failure. 
because she was in a, in a state of kidney failure. And she also had a urinary tract blockage. So the DMSO that would have been in her system is now building up because she isn't passing the DM, DMSO that's in her system. It's it's backed up. It's not mm-hmm. flushing out because she has a blockage. Yeah. So now there's also, already ouch. a ton. I know. Yeah. Now there's already a ton of that in her system. And then in the ambulance, the paramedics put an oxygen mask on her. So oxygen molecules flooded her bloodstream, which would have combined with the DMSO that's already there and a lot of it, which is how it evolved into SO2. So now the Livermore team at the forensic center needed to figure out that next step so they can see how it would have evolved into SO2, which is relatively harmless, though. Mm -hmm. How did it convert into SO4? Because that's like a whole other step that is so rare to happen, especially in a human body. Mm -hmm. So they conducted an experiment to see how much SO2 could accumulate in Gloria's blood at normal body temperature. And they dissolved this compound into a transparent liquid that's called Ringer's solution. It's just something that you do in a lab when you're like testing with blood. If you have to see stuff in blood that you don't want red blood cells in because you want it to be translucent. You want to see what else is in there. So they use this thing called Ringer solution that doesn't have red blood cells. Okay. So at room temperature, the SO2 in the vial of the Ringer solution began to form these white crystals. In real blood, if you saw these crystals, they would appear brown. And in the hospital, when Susan Kane was withdrawing her blood, they noticed weird brown particles floating in it. Mm-hmm. So they believe that some of the SO2 molecules in Gloria's blood broke apart. And as they're just in her bloodstream kind of flowing around, they were linking up with all of this excess oxygen that, that was being pumped into her. And they were all forming and creating SO4. Okay. But, for example, her in the ambulance and having people working on her and her coming from her home and whatever, her body and her blood was still very warm. So the SO4 was unstable and it was quickly falling apart. But once she was in the hospital, she was, her, you know, her blood, her, um, Heart rate is fast. Her blood isn't pumping properly. Her blood pressure is plummeting. Mm-hmm. And she's in a emergency room where it's notoriously a colder temperature. Yeah. There is... um, Sorry. Like a poor circulation alone yeah. would be enough to cool the entire body down. Exactly. And then cool subsequently the blood the blood cells or not the blood cells but the the veins carrying the blood would yes. just be cold. So essentially her entire body is now able to be colder. Mm-hmm. And because her blood isn't pumping proper properly, it's like this perfect area for the SO4 to be formulating and not formulating and not breaking apart as quickly as mm-hmm. it would have in a warm body with blood so it, blood it, pumping properly. It stabilized more. It became a little more stable, so yeah, it wouldn't break up. Exactly. Quickly. So when Susan drew her blood, it as it was coming out into the syringe, 
the SO4 was like vaporizing and it ended up being what poisoned the ER staff. Oh. Coming from her, the, the SO4 coming from her body because it wasn't breaking up and deteriorating and being cleansed in her body. She was slowly dying. So and it's airborne. Yes. And it, and it was. It's vapor. Just that small amount. Yeah, I don't know how. Yeah, it would have been like a small amount. That's terrifying. Because it's just coming from the syringe. That's like ricin level of terrifying. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Yes. So <laughs> the um, Livermore Forensic Center obviously explained it in a way that was a lot more scientific to people who obviously understood it more in a scientific way. Okay, well, like, time <laughs> out for a minute. Have you ever had, there's a reason why you don't put a scientist or something like that in front of a camera to explain something. <laughs> it's because they are that person. They're the ones that are just so esoteric, <laughs> so specific in a scientific way that they're unintelligible to the average person. Mm -hmm. So congratulations to you to being able to breach both worlds and explain that in layman's terms. It's very hard. And if people haven't been paying attention in the last four years, as we get through COVID and shit, I hope you appreciate how difficult that could be. So, <laughs> anyway, that's well, my spiel. As long as I did a good job. You did. So, the Riverside Coroner's Office agreed with everything that Livermore told them about um, what happened, basically, with Gloria's body and the blood and the SO4. Mm -hmm. And they were like, yep, that makes sense to us. And they released the report as the probable cause of the hospital worker symptoms. Hmm. So most were happy with Livermore's conclusion, which is basically that a chain of chemical reactions turned Gloria's body into a canister of nerve gas. Hmm. People were like, okay, that makes sense. It is a forensic center. They did all these tests. They took their time, whatever. That makes sense. But there were others, mainly other scientists, that were like, this doesn't make any sense. I find this theory impossible. You're wrong. You're wrong. You're wrong. And there was a couple reasons for this. The first reason is that DMSO turning into an airborne SO4 is just doubtful in general, according to, you know, scientists and their beliefs. Okay. SO4 is also, you know, a harsh chemical, like it's used in chemical warfare. And it's basically a form of tear gas. So if you're exposed to the vapors of tear gas, you should be crying, um, have some sort of eye irritation. And that was not any of uh, the symptoms reported by hospital staff. So people were like, well, it couldn't possibly be SO4. Hmm. And then um, another reason scientists say that this is not a good explanation is because some of the effects reported by hospital staff in relation to SO4 should have taken several hours to present themselves, but they were hit with symptoms like immediately, immediately within yeah. seconds and minutes of exposure. So again, 
that's what some scientists say. There's also problems with them disputing it because Anderson, who's at Livermore, says a lot of the times these scientists were not even reading the full report. They were just hearing sort of like a, a answer for dummies kind of thing. Of yeah, like, they were reading the headlines yeah. and responding. And they were like, that's stupid. That couldn't happen. So a lot of the times when the forensic center would refer them to the full study and really break down their hypothesis, a lot of scientists changed their mind. We're like, oh, okay. I see how you got from like A to B to C. Mm-hmm. That makes sense to me. There was obviously still some who were like, no, I don't, I don't think so. Yeah. But at the end of the day, Anderson and his team, Grant, everyone there at Livermore, they expected backlash. Um, they knew it was unavoidable. And this is a hypothesis. Nobody knows what happened. This is just the best like answer that people can come to. Yeah. And he said, quote, Anderson said, quote, we just wanted the coroner's office's opinion on our findings. And they took it and they said, yep, this is the answer. It caught us off guard. We've never said that this is what this is what happened. This is just something that needs to be looked into. Essentially, what they gave them was based on the data points we have, here's how we would reconstruct everything to match what you experienced during this quote-unquote outbreak yeah here with all the testimony that has been received for what people experienced felt seen all of that in correlation to what we can physically find scientifically here's how you put those pieces together Mm -hmm. and that's what they were hired or not even hired they did this work for free that's what they were assigned to put the pieces together and they did yeah so I think that is also a very important thing to remember is that this is a probable cause. This is a hypothesis. This whole thing that happened is still technically unsolved. No one knows. It's just this is the most uh, likely scenario, I guess. It is what is most widely accepted. It's what the coroner's office took into account. Um, This meaning that her body was like a canister of nerve gas, basically, the chemical chain reaction um the real mystery if there's a mystery here is that if that's not what happened if livermore and the investigators there are wrong then we still don't know what actually happened yeah and there is a couple theories um i don't know (laughs) i'll i'll just say the two that i found that were most widely uh reported or like talked about yeah, like presented as like alternatives. Yeah, and not by anyone like not in this case where you have like a literal renowned forensic center doing doing the research. This is just people's theories. Mm-hmm. So the first one is that the hospital had a secret meth lab. <laughs> Your face. Yes, meth drugs, methamphetamine. The hospital. I am had, not. No. Yeah, the, the hospital had a secret meth lab, and so quote meth chemicals may have been <laughs> smuggled out of the hospital in IV bags, and one of it, which was inadvertently hooked up to Gloria, and it triggered the round of nausea and everything else that the ER workers experienced, and. People um, are like, uh, of course this makes sense because first of all, Riverside isn't even a really great hospital. And second of all, um, meth 
is a huge business in Riverside. And also And hospitals are low are like located right in smack dab in the middle of it. And also everyone knows that if you're even so much as in the room with meth, you start convulsing. Yeah. Exactly. Seizures and shit. So I, I'm with you. Your face says it all. Sometimes I wish this was a visual medium. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah. So some people yeah Mm -hmm. the second one uh theory but that is like the other one i saw often is that which i could not confirm or like verify in any way is that if gloria was receiving some sort of radiate like radiation therapy like chemotherapy for her cancer then her body would just got so radioactive that when they punctured her for the intravenous intravenous line then she gave everyone radiation poisoning Mm. which is again absurd yeah you'd have to be so radioactive and also you wouldn't need to puncture she'd be radioactive she'd be radioactive paramedics would be quote unquote guys this is where the name kind of comes from radiating from her (laughs) yeah you don't need to poke a hole so uh, yeah Okay, I definitely lean more towards the what the forensic center had to say, but no matter what you think happened to Gloria or how you look at the story, you made a point earlier. It is just sad all around. Mm-hmm. The first thing that sucks is that Gloria is a, was a, a woman, a real woman, live person who no one knew and they just immediately nicknamed her the toxic lady. Which is like, that's a pretty rough nickname. That's that's not a good one. She was only 31 years old and she died horribly and abruptly Mm -hmm. um, because it was the cardiac arrest. And up to her abrupt cardiac arrest death, she literally was suffering with late stage, very painful cervical cancer. Mm -hmm. She had two children. So she died and left behind two young children. One was 12 and one was nine. And this case received international attention because of how bizarre it was and how you had all these interesting angles of like, well, is this some sort of like chemical warfare? Is like, is her body actually toxic? What is happening in this hospital? Whatever. It got national, international attention. She became the spotlight to a a circus. Exactly. But it was just her body being this like a vessel for something horrible. Nobody even, like nobody knew gloria nobody bothered to even get to know who gloria was and she honestly got totally lost in this story you have people focusing on what happened to the hospital employees what happened to like what this airborne toxin was you have people talking about the forensic center meanwhile her body is just totally used as a tool Mm -hmm. and she's never talked about so that's how i'm going to end it I'll end it on her. That makes sense. So, Gloria, obviously we know she died in the hospital on February 19th. And her family was also lost in all of this. They had to wait weeks to receive her body for the body to even be released to them. And they're trying to grieve because they're, let's say it's her parents, their 31-year-old daughter, which is like, Dyson, you're 30. Like, you Mm -hmm. probably still feel really young. Mm -hmm. Can you imagine having two kids and then going through some sort of horrible cancer and just dying 
cardiac no. arrest in and the also hospital. just for the record i'm hip i'm with it okay well that's not the question not on tiktok but you know <sighs> i i get it <laughs> what do you get kids these days <laughs> trends new music Okay, so the family's grief for Gloria was mixed with anger and frustration because their, you know, daughter, sister, mother has just died horribly in the hospital. Meanwhile, she is like, not even her, just her body is the center of this like media frenzy. Mm -hmm. And the family isn't receiving any sort of information about what like how Gloria died in the hospital and anything they heard just came from the news, which wasn't even very reliable because it was massively sensationalizing the story mm-hmm. again, just calling Gloria the toxic lady. And they were focusing on these mysterious fumes and stuff that quote felled hospital staff. The whole thing was revolved around what happened to these poor people in the hospital. Mm-hmm. It wasn't about like, yo, this actually kind of fucked up. This woman came in, horribly died, and there's obviously something like wrong with her body. Yeah. That maybe needs some attention as well. Yeah, it was spectacle centric. Yes. That was that was kind of the still is today, but especially in the nineties. Stories were dehumanizing. Yeah. Just in general. Yeah. They didn't care about you. And and they would never care about the impacts of turning you into a spectacle. Mm-hmm. That's just the way, it, I'm not going to say that's just the way it was, as in to say that that absolves yeah, any yeah. kind of wrongdoing by whoever did that, but that is how it was, exactly. right? Like, you know, the OJ trials, for example, someone was terribly murdered. There was victims in that. Yep. The spectacle in circus was just circling around OJ for fun, really. Like, it was Him just... Bronco. Because you were entertained by it, right? That was the idea. Mm-hmm. Right? So. And that's honestly, that in and of itself is fine. It's important to stay informed. Obviously, people have different uh, mediums of entertainment. It's the responsible reporting of it. Responsibly yeah. reporting and being sensitive to the fact that like, this is a real life situation for people very close <laughs> Yeah, it's the difference between a toddler holding a gun and an adult. That's the way I see it. Like when you're, yeah, when you're co- when there's news and you're covering something. And in the '90s, it was toddlers holding a fucking gun. Yes. Okay. There was there was no responsibility. They were just doing it. Whereas like nowadays, to a degree, to a degree, there, yeah, and it's obviously depending. But there was the the understanding that there's responsibilities that come with publishing. Exactly. Like, for example, if this is 1994 and I cover, there was podcasts back then, uh, let's say it's on the radio. It's a radio show. It's a radio series. It's 1994. Guess what I'm calling this? The Toxic Lady of Riverside, California. Mm-hmm. It's 2023. We have a podcast. Instead, what I will title this episode is The Death of Gloria Ramirez. Right. Because this is a real woman who has a real name and she died and this is surrounding her death in the hospital that had all these bizarre things that came out of it. Mm -hmm. But I'm not going to sensationalize it so that people download her episode and call it the toxic lady. Yeah. It's the death of a woman. Mm -hmm. And that's what's cool about 
podcasts and stuff nowadays. And you can kind of like not rewrite the story, but start telling it in a format that is is more sensitive and does cover all aspects and puts it just in a vein that is I don't know. I don't want to say digestible, but I don't know. What do you know what I'm trying to say? Your face yeah. looks like you smell something that stinks. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. But yeah, no, I understand what you mean. And it's just it's like a new kind of format that's just I don't know. It, we're like we're not doing this where we have to sell papers and shit, so we have to make this some weird gross spectacle. We can actually cover it the way people would want it to be covered. You can imagine that if Gloria's family was listening or something, they wouldn't be like, I'm suing you. Yeah. I guess. I don't know. So when Gloria's body was finally released, the family had lost all hope at this point in Riverside Coroner's office because they had been waiting for answers and just someone to talk to them like they were humans and it wasn't happening. And by the time they got the body back, they had been waiting to get an independent autopsy done. They wanted to do their own investigation, come to conclusions and answers on their own, separate from everything that was being reported and sensationalized. Mm Mm-hmm. But when they got Gloria's body back, it had been severely mutilated. Her heart was missing. Her body was a mess. There was blood and bodily fluids everywhere. And overall, her body was just too damaged for the independent pathologist that was working with the family to evaluate a cause of death in any way. Because they had been using her body essentially for science. (laughs) Yeah. Taking samples hauling her here and there and putting her God knows where because they thought she was this, quote, toxic lady. Mm-hmm. And, like, her her body was just in terrible condition. Yeah. Which is just, I can't imagine. No. By April 1994, so this would have been two months since she died, mm-hmm. friends and family were finally able to put Gloria to rest. A memorial service was held on April 19th, and about 100 people arrived, and a lot of them were relatives and, like, really close friends. She had a big circle of people around her. And the family had to ask news crews to keep their cameras outside because they were trying to, like, be a part of the memorial service to, like, get some pictures of, like, the grieving family and whatever. And they had to be like, can you fucking get your cameras out of here? Like, pay your respects and be a normal person or fuck off. Mm-hmm. And Gloria had this big, beautiful ivory colored casket. And it was just covered with flowers and like little mementos and notes and all of that for her. And it had a little crucifix on it with this beautiful portrait of her. And for the memorial service, family and everyone got together and they released balloons into the air and said like kind words about Gloria and prayers and stuff like that. People were remembering her as uh, someone said a friend to all. And they talked of how she was very quick to smile. She was very carefree. She was really funny. She was very much a joker and she was just so welcoming. And like, if you were with her, you just, 
felt so happy. Like she brought pure joy to people. And like I had mentioned, Gloria had two children. She had a 12-year-old daughter named Evelyn, and she had a nine-year-old named Angel. And she had a sister named Maggie. And one of the children, Evelyn, actually wrote a poem for their mother that Maggie read at the, I believe, the memorial. Mm -hmm. And it said, roses I read, violets are blue. The next time I find a red rose, it will be just for you. No. And the funeral was held at Riverside's Olive Wood Memorial Park on the next day, so April 20th. And again, the family had to tell news crews and reporters and photographers to take a hike. Yeah. And Reverend Taylor led a 10-minute graveside service, um, again, honoring Gloria. And then he sang Amazing Grace, and everyone else sang Amazing Grace as well, because that was a song that they said Gloria always was, like, humming, just, like, one of those, like, mindless things that you just kind of hum a tune to, and she would always be humming Amazing Grace. Okay. So that's how they sort of sent her off for good mm. the at the funeral service. They, everyone sang Amazing Grace. I really like that, actually. That's actually kind of sweet, because mm-hmm. it's, like, it's one of those subconscious things, but that's, like, honoring not just her, but, like, the unconscious... Um, impact she left on other people mm-hmm. like they all remembered her as like you know like and she would always be like walking down the hall and you would yeah. hear the song and like, you'd be like oh like that's her cooking dinner yeah doing dishes yeah just walking like from here to there it's like just... a semblance of her still carrying on i like that, mm-hmm. so that very was... well done very tasteful it's good her little send off there it's perfect because they kicked the media out and then they showed a high class event yeah yeah they're like get that like and they for the funeral mainly they were like you need to this is very much for like intimate friends, families. Go kick rocks. Go yeah. away. Yeah. Whereas the memorial, which was the day before, they were like, fine. Of course, come in here, say a mm-hmm. prayer, be with the family. Yeah. But don't fucking take pictures or bring your cameras in here and record things. Like, be a human. Yeah. Be a human and honor this person that mm-hmm. died. So yeah. I thought that was a really important way to end the episode because. Even while I was researching it, I was like, I would say four of the articles I read were like, they're good articles. They're, they're very much about this like scientific part of it, getting into how they came to their conclusion of what happened mm. and, you know, the events that unfolded in the emergency room. All of these are important pieces of the story. But while I was even reading these, I'm like, but like, who's Gloria? Yeah, they didn't even. And like, what happened to her? Like, what did they do? Like, I had to Google like where, like where did her body? Like, did did she they get her body back? Was it deemed like essentially like nuclear waste or something? Like, what the fuck happened? Nuclear. Nuclear. (laughs) So yeah. Yeah. That's it's just very much. I found researching this that she gets totally lost in the shuffle. Not even seen as a real person. That's that's just ridiculous. So. Um, a lot of that information about like her her funeral and stuff came from a LA Times article, I believe. I have all I our can, sources linked. But... I can see that, especially like when you have like all all the like television type type bullshit, and then you got the tabloid papers where you get like a solid 
newspaper writer. He's not going to put a camera in your face. He's just going to ask you politely, like, I'm sorry for your loss. Can I talk to you after? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. You know. Yeah. Not all reporters are bad, but you mm-hmm. do have those ones that just want to make sure it's in the cycle for more than 24 hours. Yeah. I can name way too many already right now. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> so, yeah, that was a, I don't really know, like, not really like a true crime case, not Intrigue, like a haunted place, not like the typical. I I like it though. Macabre. It's, its, own, it's well, yes, but it's its own little thing. It's like a just a, it's a, a story of an in, story of intrigue, really. Like it's just one of those like, how the fuck did that happen? Mm-hmm. I really like that. That's cool. Hopefully you do. You liked it too, listener. Hopefully, um, your brain isn't as mushy as mine. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like it. People listening are like, "Stop being so hard on yourself." Like you did a really good job. You did do a good job. But from my perspective of like being the one to translate it into what I told you, mm-hmm. is like, is what's throwing me off. It's hard, but like you did a good job. <laughs> okay. I understood all of that. You navigated us through the um, ridiculous compounds. You know, as someone who really fucking hated chemistry class, thank you for that. Man, so. I didn't even take chemistry. Yeah. Because I was like, oh, y'all only need two credits. Cool. I'm not doing chemistry then. <laughs> well, it worked. <laughs> I understood it. Beautiful. Yeah. Um, are you on the side of um the Livermore people at the forensic center? I am. You and- don't think it was a mass hysteria or a meth lab or radiation poisoning? I can concretely say that you put me down on not in agreement with the people who suggest it was a meth lab. It's so ridiculous. Because that's just ridiculous. obviously made by someone who is so sheltered they've never even encountered someone on meth. Me- I know. Um, <laughs> meth. What was it? Meth materials. Meth materials. Uh, meth chemicals. Quote, meth chemicals may have been smuggled out of the hospital in IV bags. It just none of that makes sense. That's just the stupidest shit I've ever fucking heard. I know. And what do you mean meth chemicals? Like like Windex or what? <laughs> yeah, like what the fuck do you, like gasoline? Like come on, stop it. Yeah. Um anyway, also the very initial principle of a hospital being a meth lab is so fucking absurd and they just want you to glaze over that. Anyway, no. Not I don't lab. agree with the meth lab. Um radiation to a degree i like i i can i can see how like a bunch of people in the room seeing other people respond to something straight up when i was first researching this i was like yeah it's absolutely mass hysteria i could see it like i could see that happening that's a real thing the name sucks i'll give it that name fucking sucks because that's just they need a new name for it but they do i can 100 percent see people whatever it was yeah but like uh, yeah so i could see that to amplify it but um i guess the degree of the symptoms that they were getting and yeah the degree of the symptoms that they were getting and the fact that there was so fucking many of them mass sociogenic illness yeah is mass hysteria like i I could see that happening but like usually i can't see that happening to the point where you start convulsing like foaming at the fucking mouth and shit yeah, so when I was first reading it, I was like, I understand why they would say it's mass hysteria, and I did actually think that. But mm-hmm. then as I was reading article after article and writing it for myself and starting to understand the case and where 
the forensic center was drawing their conclusions, there is too many things that fit. Like her body literally was covered in this oily sheen and smelt like garlic and had obviously had something lathered on it. It's the fact that the the lab literally made a roadmap on how you get to that situation. Yeah. That just kind of nailed it for me where I was like, okay, well, if they've built the roadmap to show how this fucking happens, then I'm I'm not going to hedge bets on mass hysteria, which is so rare anyway. Like if they can literally pinpoint how this situation could occur, mm-hmm. you know? So, I mean, like, and also the, the argument for mass hysteria is a default because they couldn't find any other evidence. Yes. <laughs> so, you know, so I, I am in agreement with the lab. Mm-hmm. I think that makes a lot of sense. My only initial concern was, well, they tested the bag air. And I was like, hey, there's no fucking, there's nothing in the bag air. But then I was like, well, there's two things. One, how long did it take for her to be bagged up again? And two, um, you know, how long does it take for all of that to expel out the body once? Because it's so destabilized. Yes. So I went, okay, I get that. That could be also explained by her being out or multiple different factors. So I was like, okay, I think I'm in agreement with the lab. So it isn't like, even if there was, so they did test air in like the containers and the body bag, but it didn't matter because it was that initial vapors right out of the SO4 that was in that perfect climate. Mm -hmm. So after this, all this time when her body is, it's dead, it's deteriorating it isn't going to have this this fresh vapor coming out of like the blood and whatever Mm -hmm. so hi kobe hi okay (laughs) um yeah so that's why there wasn't stuff that's like tested right from the air you had to get right in there into the blood and even then testing her blood it wasn't so4 Mm -hmm. it was so2 Yep. Because it didn't have this um, fresh oxygen atoms molecules feeding it mm-hmm. to be stabilized in that perfect environment. Yeah. So they have to just one piece, one piece, one piece at a time to form the perfect yeah. scenario. Yeah. Because, yeah, SO4 wasn't even present. Mm-hmm. It was just what they believe could have happened. And I with you. I think that is what the most likely of some of uh situations but again it's like this is technically unsolved so i don't know listener do you think that that this that is likely that her body essentially turned into a canister of nerve gas based on these perfect sort of environmental situations yeah for her or is that too convenient for you what are they hiding do you think it's meth (laughs) is Is it it meth? meth is it not a meth factory is it actually a pcp factory is this hospital manufacturing angel dust homie I just want to know whoever came up with that fucking theory. I think How it was bored just were they? Some person that was writing for a paper that sucked, and they were like, "Let's get some." Reads. Well, like you know how people get with hospitals, right? Like you can have like a not so great hospital, but people will take it to the nth degree to like say how shit it is. Yeah. So I think this is just the extreme of that. <laughs> yeah, someone went there and had a bad experience, so they were like, "Meth lab in the it's basement." A, it's a fucking meth lab. Let us know if you think it was a meth lab. Do you think it was radiation poisoning? Do you think it was mass hysteria? Do you think it was this SO4 explanation? Be very curious to hear. Um, as we mentioned, we got a thousand followers on Instagram now. You could be one of them. 
mm-hmm. Dark Adaptation Podcast. You can see photos about this case. You can message us and tell us what you think about this case. Mm-hmm. Um, I mentioned a few articles throughout this. I had also said that I had no business explaining the really scientific parts because I don't. But if you look at our sources, there's one article, I think that's by Discover Magazine, and it has the like very scientific breakdown. So if you are somebody who's interested in that, mm-hmm. check out the sources on our website, darkadaptationpodcast.ca. And um, next week is Paige's episode. Woo! So I don't know what Paige is going to do. Flipping the page. It's going to be very exciting. She'll be back. And... Together, we'll find out what she's going to tell us, and it'll be fun. Yeah. So make sure you tune in next week, episode 54, to hear Paige's tale on either cryptids or folklore or both. I don't know. And uh, we'll catch you on the dark side. Bye. Say bye, Kobe. Goodbye. Goodbye, people. Goodbye. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye. 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 <laughs>